You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I said it this morning and I'm um, saying it again a bit, is that I love this family, the Meyer family, and um, and I, I just really have grown... Uh, I mean, we've worked, Tony and I have worked together for years uh, in, in Iowa City, but uh, I, I, through Tony, came to know Drew and Tanya, and uh, we haven't had a lot of contact together, but in the most recent years, you've been involved in more district stuff, I've been involved in more district stuff, and I've got to hear your heart, and, um, and the thing is that time has a way of actually um, showing you, demonstrating faithfulness, Right? And uh, I've seen this church go through a lot of transition and it really refreshes my heart to be here on a Sunday night and see this house like this and you guys worshiping God with, your pa- with passion and heart. That is, it's, it's beautiful to see. And let me tell you something, you have amazing, amazing leadership in this house. Honor them. I, you already have an amazing culture of honor in this place anyways. I encourage you to keep doing that. Um, you know, I've got notes in front of me, but I've got some things I want to share too. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go back and forth a little bit, if that's all right. But um, William Booth, who's the uh, um, founder of the Salvation Army years ago, he, there's a statement that he made that made it into the inside cover of my, one of my first Bibles. And um, it was, some are content within the sound of church or chapel bell but I want to build a rescue station a yard from hell. And um, that really ministered to me back then. And it kind of set course for where I was going and the direction I was going in. And I'm saying that, I'm bringing that up because we're doing a Sunday night service here. And I remember my early years in, in church. You know, we don't, at Life Church, we don't have Sunday evening services. Um, most churches do not at all. Um, but I remember Sunday evening services where God would speak. In fact, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit on a Sunday night service. I felt a call to ministry. I was an engineering student at the University of Texas in Arlington. And, and uh, I was in a, in a Sunday night service and a missionary came and spoke. You know, we always put missionaries on Sunday nights, not on Sunday mornings. <laughs> so that kind of thing. <laughs> and a missionary came and spoke and uh, Billy Burr. And I remember just crying out to God, God, I'll, I'll go. It was in a Sunday night service that I heard that one quote that I just mentioned about William Booth. And I didn't know a whole lot of what I was doing back then, but I just wrote it in my Bible. It's just a little caption. And, and I remember going back to it over and over again. And I would say probably now it's been almost 40 years it's characterized the pathway of, my, of our, our ministry life. Um, I remember... <clears throat> And uh, 2004, total accident kind of situation. I uh, was, had come back from Bangladesh. Um, we were, had been missionaries in Bangladesh for, we'd been in country for about eight years and had come back to the States. And um, I remember uh, trying to figure out, okay, what, what, what's next? You know, we thought maybe it was missions, but, uh, but those doors didn't seem to be opening up exactly. And so we b- began to believe that God was calling us a pastor. And so I didn't, you know, I had never, in fact, I, since I had, last time I did a resume was for Church's Fried Chicken as a high schooler, you know? <laughs> so I, I had never done a resume and definitely not done one for, for, you know, for pastoring. 
So I, but I was told, you know, you need to get resumes put together and send them to these churches. And so I put together a resume to the best of my ability. And I, I, um, I have a friend here in this district. His name is David Olson, who pastors down in Ankeny. And we were, he was best man in my wedding. And I did, I, I married he and Kathy and known him for a lot of years. We were roommates in Bible school. And so I, I didn't, he was pastoring and I didn't know what a resume for a pastor looked like. So I did one and I sent it to, to Dave and Dave kind of reviewed it and sent me back some, some, you know, critique points and said, hey, change this, do that, whatever. I did. I sent the resume to uh, four churches and this was kind of like, this was people telling me, just do it, send it to this church. And so I sent it to these four churches in the South, Louisiana and Texas. And, uh, you know, nothing was really opening up. I mean, some things were opening up, but I didn't feel comfortable. Every time I'd have an interview, I was like, oh, that doesn't feel good. What I did not know is that Dave, so, so I'm, I'm in Huntington Beach, California. I am uh, watching my, my son's playing Pop Warner football, my youngest son, Gabe. I'm sitting out in the park and watching him play football. And I get a phone call. And on the line is Glenn Reynolds. And he says, hey, Pastor Rich, this is Glenn Reynolds. I've got on the phone, it's a, you know, several people on this phone call. I've got this Ray Corlew and Richard Arrowood. And we received your application to come in church plant in Iowa. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I did not send an, uh, I think at first my thought was like, wait, Idaho, potato? I don't know, is it Ohio, is it Iowa? I don't know what we're talking about here, you know? And so they, they said that and, you know, and I'm like, I did not send an application. He said, yeah, well, we received, we have, your, we have your resume right here in front of us. And so what I did not know is that Dave went ahead and gave the resume to Richard Arrowwood and said, hey, you should ask this guy to come and plant church here in Iowa. Well, that, that happened and um, uh, interviewed. And to be honest, at that time I was 40, 41 years old. And I thought, I... I am not church planning at 41. I have three teenage sons at home. I've got a daughter who's in third grade. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna church plant at this age. I've done it once before. It's a lot of work. I'm not gonna do it again. You know, and you know how that goes when you tell God things like that. <laughs> it doesn't really go well. It's like, yeah, God, no. <laughs> God's like, I'm not gonna accept your no. <laughs> or you can, but it's really gonna go bad for you. Um, <clears throat> so. So I, you know, I, I, I told the guys over the phone, I'm just not sure. I got to pray about this. Let me just go take it to the Lord. And so I, and in, in me, I'm not kidding you, I would go to pray. I would go pray about this church planning opportunity in Iowa City. And I'd go and I'd, this is how I start my prayer. Lord, I know you really don't want me to do this. I'm too old to do this. And my kids, you know, they're not really, no. So just just confirm what I'm telling you, that this is, that's kind of how I was approaching God, you know? And what's weird about it is that every time I start praying about uh, planning a church, I'd spend maybe 20, 30 minutes doing that, and by the end of it, I, I had like a five-year plan of how we we're gonna start the church. I'm like, okay, this is not how this prayer was supposed to go, but that's what happened. So I called them back, and this was uh, late 2004. I called them back, and I said, okay, uh, we're not sure, but we'll consider, but you know, we need to come check it out. We've never been to I Iowa or Idaho or Ohio. <laughs> so we need to come check this place out. So um, my wife and I flew here. We interviewed, had an eight-hour-long interview at the district office when it was on Merle Hay Road. And, and, um, <clears throat> and then we rented a car from Des Moines to go to Iowa City. And uh, I remember driving, and my wife was sitting in the, in, the, in the passenger seat, 
And we had just come back from Bangladesh. So just so you know, the city we lived in, in Dhaka City, in Bangladesh, it's smaller area-wise than Des Moines, but it has 18 million people. So you're just used to always seeing people. Like you're out in the village and there's, you know, they call a village in Bangladesh, they call it, a village in Bangladesh is like 20,000 people or less. That's a village. And so that's a small, a small village is 5,000 people, you know? There's a lot of towns that don't even qualify. Anyway, so, so we're driving between Des Moines and, and Iowa City and we're thinking, where are we going? There's like nothing. There's like corn and plants and there's no people, you know? We're just driving, we're thinking, where is this place? You know, we got to Iowa City and uh, you know, and by the way guys, I, this, I had no intention, so hopefully we're go- going in the right direction here, but um, we get to Iowa City and, uh, and it kind of correlates a little bit. I get to Iowa City and I remember uh, Greg Kinzel, I don't know if you guys know who Greg Kinzel is, he, he, he met us in Iowa City to kind of give us a tour of the, of the town and and uh, he took us to the Ped Mall there in, in, in downtown. And I remember walking up and there was a, a lady sitting at like, there's like a little, uh, like an, at the Ped Mall, I just want to explain, but she was sitting at the Ped Mall and she was doing the tarot cards, you know, like reading your palms and doing that kind of stuff. And I thought, where are we? This is like, this is the Midwest. This is not, you don't read tarot cards in the Midwest, right? That's not possible. And I just walked around and my heart just broke as we walked around and that verse came back to, I mean, that passage, that, that statement from William Booth came back, some are content within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I wanna build a yard, a, a rescue station, a yard from hell. And I felt that that's exactly where we were. Now, I don't speak of our town that way. I love, I love our town. God has put a love for people in our town. But I remember we, Finally came back and told them, okay, guys, this is, uh, this is what God's called us to do. So I called them back and they said, come on and we'll, we'll, we'll get you here. And so we moved here, sold everything we had, which wasn't much, but we sold everything we had and moved to Iowa City. Um, I remember when we arrived, um, so I was shopping for a house, you know, shopping to buy a house and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went on a, the primitive search engine back in 2005 of, you know, realtors in Iowa City, realtors in Iowa City. I typed that in and it, the first hit, the first hit on this database search, um, the first hit was gay and lesbian friendly realtors and then it said nationwide. And it, you know, kind of piqued my, what in the world? I mean, has, what I typed in is not at all similar to that, but this is what I got, right? But it piqued my curiosity, so I clicked on it, and, and it had like a map of the United States and all these clickable kind of states, and I clicked on Iowa and to see, what well, you know, I was just curious, and there was only two in the whole state of Iowa. And then when I went further, I realized that both of them lived in my city, in Iowa City. And it's just like, wow, that's uh, interesting. Kind of racked it back behind my brain. We get here, and we're here for a few months and felt like God was calling us to, you know, we're just we're trying to figure out how to start a church. I thought the normal thing was just, you know, go to your neighbors and knock on the door. And I mean, this is the Midwest. People are all friendly and nice and all that, right? So, so just go to your friends and knock on the doors and invite them to church. 
And so I went to my entire neighborhood and knocked on the doors and they were like, no, I'm not interested at all. Some didn't even open the door. Like they just, they weren't as friendly as everybody says they are. They're just not friendly at all, you know? And so trying to get them to come to just a Bible study at our house that wasn't working. And finally we decided we're going to just, we're just going to send a mailer out and invite them to a launch service. Sent 55,000 mailers out. And I can't necessarily quantify this exactly. I, I, I know I have an idea just by kind of rough percentages, but I have an idea of how the response, we sent 55,000 out, we got approximately 300 or so, uh, either email, phone call, responses back. And um, of those 300 or so email, phone call, responses that we got back, I would, again, I can't quantify this exactly, but I'm, I'm, so I think it's an intelligent guess. Um, about 85% of them were asking, are you a, uh, gay and lesbian friendly church? That was a question. And I just, uh, then I remembered the database that I looked at, I'm like, wow, what, what is going on in this town that I don't know? And more and more the Lord just began to say, I sent you here, I sent you here. And so it began to shape a lot of things of how we preach the gospel. <clears throat> We've been talking about First Peter and how in First Peter there's all this you know, P Peter is, is uh, addressing persecution that these Christians are facing. And he's trying to give them, see, the, the, in First in Peter, what you find is, um, well, 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 just culturally what you find. What you find culturally is that when, when things don't go our way, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when things are not happening the way we want, if we're experiencing persecution, for example, we do one of two things. We either appease, meaning we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want anybody to be upset, we don't, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and so we, our values, our beliefs kind of blend in and they just shift. They're not solid, they kind of shift around and they, they kind of just become whatever. That's one, one response, it's not a biblical response. But the other unbiblical response is that we attack and we go to war with our neighbors. And suddenly, you know, like we get our, Ten Commandments, you know, yard ornament, and we stick it out in front of our yard, and we look out, we're just constantly looking out the window waiting for our neighbor who has a little, you know, Darwin fish on his bumper to drive by and to drive by and stop in front of your yard and say, oh, wow, Ten Commandments, let me, let me study those. That's what, that's what we expect, as if that's really going to work, right? So I think what Peter does is Peter is saying, look, there's another way. And I'm not going to get into it, into the text. I just want to encourage you to go back to First Peter, last part of First Peter, beginning of Peter, First Peter, chapter two, chapter one, and chapter two. <clears throat> but what Peter does is that he first appeals to us. He says, "Listen, you have been chosen. You belong to God." You belong to God, and I hope that you understand that. I hope, aside from everything I'm talking about, I hope that you're sitting here right now and you have a clear understanding that you are his if you're a follower of Christ. Yeah, you're his son, you're his daughter. That that's how he sees you. You're not an orphan. You're not, you know, you're not just kind of passing along. You're not, you're not you know, so oftentimes what we think is that God looks at us and he's just mad at us. That's not how it is. You're his son. You're his daughter. And so Peter says this to him. He says, listen, you got to remember who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. 
And he goes on to say, another word he uses, you're also an exile. You're a stranger walking through a strange land. You're aliens in this world. And the idea behind that is that don't get too settled in. Don't get too, 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 you know, too attached to the things of this world because what happened, I'm not just talking about things like physical things, but just the safety, the, the false safety that this world gives us. The false notion of security that we get from this, from this world. Don't get too attached to those things because they will let you down. You're just passing through. That's what Peter's doing. He's challenging, he's encouraging. Then in chapter two, what happens is he says, therefore, he uses a little transition word, therefore, because that's who you are, because you're God's chosen ones, because you are aliens walking through this strange land, therefore, live holy lives. And he challenges us to be holy as God is holy. Now we understand holiness. You've sure you understand holiness. You probably, you know, I think sometimes we think holiness is about what we wear. You know, what we can, how we can pretend to look a certain way on the outside. The church I pastored in Louisiana uh, was a little town called Leesville, Louisiana. Anybody familiar with Leesville, Louisiana? Yeah, Leesville, Louisiana. For every other church there is there, there's, a, a, there's, there's for every, like, a, for every AG church, there's 10 United Pentecostal churches in Leesville, Louisiana. Anybody know that? No? Okay. Anyways. They, I lived there. They probably didn't live there, but they know about Leesville. <clears throat> there, it's, and, and it's all about what you look like. It's how you dress. It's this appearance, you know. Well, that's oftentimes how holiness is labeled, but what holiness really means is to be set apart, to be called out. And part of what he talks about is he says, rid yourself of all of these things. So part of holiness is getting rid of something, but then he goes on and says, crave milk. Like it's ridding yourself of something, but it's also chasing after something else. That's really what holiness is. It's, I'm not gonna be what I, I'm gonna stop doing these other things. Like he gives us this list of things that we need to stop doing. And then he gives us the thing, he starts telling us, this is what we have to do. We have to chase after Christ. You and I, as followers of Christ, to be holy in this world, we have to chase after Christ. Now, why does he say that? In fact, let me just go to that text. I'm going to find that text. I'm kind of whew, way off base here, but um, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse nine, he says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, that's the call of holiness, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. Now, how do we do that? How do we speak out for him? This is Peter speaking again, right? How do we speak out for him? He goes on. I tell, by telling others the night and day difference. This is, by the way, in the message version, I par it's a paraphrase. Telling others a night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So how do we live holy lives? How do we tell others about Christ? By living this life out by being able to tell them the night and day difference that you have experienced in your life. Not by pointing out the things that they need to change or you know how they, there's a spirit of humility that kind of rises up within us when we live that kind of way. Verse 11, friends, this world is not your home. He reminds us again that we are aliens. So don't make yourselves cozy and don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. 
in verse 12, live exemplary lives among the natives. Again, this is the message version. You can go back and look at it later. So that your actions will refute their prejudices. They will be won over, then they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Again, this is your witness. This is how you witness, is by living an exemplary life. I think our problem is, especially, and this is, I started off by talking about moving to Iowa City and all of that. I think it's easy for us as Christians to get, to get sucked into cultural wars. Like there's the liberal and then there's the conservative and we align ourselves more with the conservatives and we take on some of their, some of the conservatives' values and we kind of make them biblical values, sort of. It's not really the way it should go, but we do that. And that's the way we think that we're witnessing by engaging in this cultural war. That's not what Jesus did. I mean, in fact, Jesus kind of did the, he flipped it, he did the exact opposite. The people who thought were righteous, the people who th- thought that they were right, he, he challenged them. He said, look, you, you're like whitewashed, you look pretty on the outside, but you're not really, there's something wrong on the inside. And then he would go hang out with tax collectors and publicans and sinners. It's like, wait a minute. And it reminds me again of William Booth's statement. Some are content within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to build a rescue station within a yard of hell. As the world becomes increasingly hostile towards the church, the church must become increasingly holy. Listen, revival is not going to happen. Revival is not going to happen by us legislating morality in this country. It's not how it's going to happen. We, a lot of us think that's how it's going to happen. It's not going to how it's going to happen. Revival is going to happen when Christians start living like Christians. And when that happens, the world will take notice. The world will see, wow, look what they're doing. And suddenly we become attractive. Like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you managing? Look, I know that things have not gone well in your marriage. How, how in the world have you survived? How have you not divorced? How have you been able to survive even though it looks like everything around you is falling apart? It's that night and day difference. So how do I live humbly and live a humble and holy life in a world that is hostile? First Peter talks a lot about this living hope. This living hope that we have. It's not something that's, it's not like something that's static in, in times past. It's not like, a, okay, Jesus died on the cross and that's just this thing in the past. If I could just focus in on that thing in the past, that's it. It's actually a living hope. It's actually happening right now, right? When I was in seminary, I had to read a book by a guy named Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish Austrian psychiatrist and he wrote a, this book that he wrote was called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a, he was a survivor of Auschwitz, you know, that, that, that camp where a lot of Jews were sent to and many of them were killed. During this time, he faced unspeakable amount of persecution to the level of what Nero was doing when he was you know, burning Christians so he could light up his, his gardens you know, and the crazy stuff they did back in that, that first century. This is what he says. He says, they stripped me naked. This is Viktor Frankl speaking. He says, they stripped me naked. They took everything, my wedding ring, my watch, 
I stood there naked and all of a sudden I realized at that moment that although they could take everything away from me, my wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom of how I was going to respond. When I read this, I think that there's, I think sometimes we think that we don't have a choice in how we respond. We do. Married couples in here, right? You always have a choice on how you respond to your spouse. Guys, I'll talk to guys. You always have a choice in how you respond to your wife, right? No matter how crazy she, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. He says, Auschwitz, this is what he says, Auschwitz destroyed many emotionally, psychologically, way before their bodies gave in. Frankel says that those who overcame the camp were able to make it through the torture and the humiliation this way. They had a fixed reference point beyond the camp. That's how they survived. And I think this is exactly what Peter is trying to tell us. Because Peter's talking to a bunch of Christians that are facing persecution and are going to begin to face even more persecution. And I don't know why I landed on this. I was praying. I called Drew and I told him, say, this is what I'm thinking about. He was... He gave me permission, so it's his fault. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I, I started processing, processing this this afternoon, thinking about why am I talking about this in a church that I don't pat like I don't know any of you, and wh- why would Rich be telling you this since I don't even know who you are? And you're probably thinking, why is he telling me this? Um, <clears throat> and I just I just realized that you know maybe just maybe you know we're coming around another election cycle. Things are, going to, things are already heated up, but they're going to start getting more heated up. Just maybe in the next couple of years, you have an opportunity to shine brightly for Jesus. For Jesus. You have an opportunity for that. And so I'm hoping that some of these words, you'll remember them, you know, like next year when, or whenever it is. Is it this year or next year? I can't remember when we're the elections, whenever the elections are. <laughs> That's how much I pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> um, but you have an opportunity to, to, to shine brightly for him. <clears throat> he talks about this living hope. Towards the end of the letter, Peter calls them to prayer again. And this is what he says in verse, chapter 5, verse 7. He says, give all your worries, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Now, you guys are seasoned Christians in this room. You're here on a Sunday night. My goodness, you are definitely a mature Christian, right? Okay. (laughs) Evidently, you're not. You didn't say amen or anything, so okay. (laughs) I think a passage like this, uh, 1 Peter 5, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you, kind of causes us Christians sometimes to just yawn. Yeah, 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 we know that. Yeah, we know, yeah. God cares, yeah, of course. But Rich, come on, give me some other stuff. I need some, something more, you know. <clears throat> I love the language that Peter is using here. Remember, he's talking to some Christians who are experiencing an incredible amount of persecution. And he says all these things. This is, he says, this is who you are. This is how you're supposed to live. And then he ends by saying, look, just pray and give just give God all of your cares for he cares about you. And it just kind of reminds me, it's this language that reminds me of being a dad. You guys remember, any of you 
or maybe you have kids right now, you have, there's a lot of young kids in this church, so maybe you experience this all the time, where your kids say, Daddy, can you carry this for me? Any dads get that? Yeah. Can you carry this for me? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't have that anymore because I don't have kids at home anymore. And when my son says, Dad, can you carry this for me? I'm like, you're bigger than me, you carry it. You know, that's what I, that's what I do. <laughs> I have grandkids, though, that I will carry things for. I remember there was a, a time I was, we were in Bangladesh and my, um, uh, we, at, that, at that time we had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a, and a, and a three-year-old. And uh, my oldest son, Jonathan, it was late. We'd been out playing outside and they were tired and sweaty and had been going all day long, going all day long, going all day long. And so it was just late. It was later in the evening. It was time to go to bed. And so I, I went up to Jonathan and said, hey, it's time to go to bed, guys. Let's kind of do some devotions. We're going to go to bed and then do some devotions, take a shower. So I had Jonathan go, you know, and, and my youngest son, Gabe, was sitting around playing with some toys. I said, hey, okay, Gabe, you, Gabriel, you need to go to the room, take a shower. I looked across the room and I saw my middle son, Josh. And, and Jonathan and Gabe, they're both like, uh, they're dark-headed, dark, dark-complected. And then my middle son, Josh, looks like my wife. He's blonde hair. And back then he had like really blonde hair. And kind of chubby, you know, and, and so, and I looked across the room and there was Josh sitting on this chair with a pacifier in his, his mouth and his eyes were closed, like he had fallen asleep sitting in a chair. So I walked up to Josh and I said, hey, Josh, buddy, we got to go to bed. And he kind of opened one eye and he's like, dad, I'm tired. I'm like, I know, I know. Come on, let's just go to bed. I picked up some of his toys and get him, coax him to go to bed. And he's like, daddy, can you carry me? To be honest, I didn't want to. I didn't, just because I had my hands full. But I did. I kind of gathered some things in one arm and then I swooped them up with the other arm and uh, walked him to the bedroom and took him into the bedroom. <clears throat> and you know what? That's okay. I suspect that there's some of you in this room that you need your daddy to pick you up. It's okay. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen, <clears throat> I don't know where you are. It's a Sunday night, so I hope that you are here with hearts open. I, mean, I don't know what you're struggling with, what your challenges might be. But I love the characterization of our Father. He loves us. He cares for us. You might even be here right now. I suspect that in any room with this amount of people, there's somebody sitting here saying, I don't think God cares about me. He does. There might be some of you in this room that you're going through some real difficulty and hardship, and you're putting on a good face. And you're acting the part because after all, you're in life point. You're at life point, man. This is, a, this is an awesome church. So I got to be spiritual. <laughs> so you're putting on a good face, but man, things are just not going well. You need to know that your father cares. And so what do we do? I love... I love you guys because this church already has a culture of that. When I ask, what do you do when that's where you're at? Well, throw yourself at his feet. All right, that's what this Sunday night's all about. It's about laying yourself bare. Say, God, here I am. This morning, Pastor Drew used the term, it's 
surrender, that we're in, a, in many ways in a constant place of surrendering our lives to him. And so you have an opportunity for that tonight. You might be here tonight wondering, God, do you even know that I'm here? Do you even care? Come to this altar. Surrender. Surrender your thoughts. Surrender the things that are holding you back. Surrender the things that you're tied to that's causing you to think that way. Just surrender that. Maybe you're here and there's been a lot of things going on in your life but not a whole lot of people know about it. And um, <clears throat> you're feeling challenged by those things and maybe what the Lord wants you to do tonight is to simply say, call a friend over, say, listen, will you pray for me about these things? I need help. And surrender. Maybe that's not happening. Maybe you're here and you're like, God, you know, things are going good. And there's always an opportunity to come to the altar and surrender. I know that's true for me. I mean, God has been working in my own heart over the, since I, I took a sabbatical last year. I know my time is up, but I took a sabbatical last year and came out of the sabbatical with just some resolve about, you know, um, how I was going to live for him. The things that I'm going to cut out, the things that I'm going to embrace, the things I'm going to care about more, and the things I need to let just let go. I mean, I just, and be honest with you guys, there's things that just, I, there was just, it was taking too much of my emotion, too much of my, too much of my interest, too much of my time and energy, and I was just walking around without energy. So I made those commitments to God, and I said, that's what we're going to do, and it's been a great journey, but the Lord is just beginning to reveal that this is a, a part of a bigger plan, that God's really at work and doing something in me, and I've got myself now in an opportunity to get out on this altar and say, Jesus, I surrender my plans to you. I surrender my desires and everything that I think I have planned out. You know, I'm 60, I'm getting close to retirement age. I'm thinking, what's next? And I can, I can come up with a lot of plans, that's for sure. You know, beaches don't, it's not beaches necessarily, but you know, I have a lot of plans for, for that time in my life. <clears throat> but I find myself saying, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want from me. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.